I've been watching a little bit on the trail here. People have been running by and observing, people walking by and listening to the music, watching us. I wonder what goes through their mind. In Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, verse 5 says, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. I, I've not had that experience, have you? I've done some tough stuff in my life, but nowhere has a hand appeared out of nowhere and written on the wall. The king watched the hand as he wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing on the walls tell me, and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew even more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Oh, king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the, of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the musicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. You call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will have and you will be made the third highest ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king. You can keep your gifts for yourself. Translated, I don't need no stinking gold bag. 
Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him all and all the peoples of the nations and the men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, had not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand, who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, many, many temple parsons. This is what the words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have weighed, uh, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Wow. What a story. The year is probably 660 B.C. Belshazzar is probably the grandson. And it's almost the same name as Belteshazzar, as Belshazzar, but he's having this party for nobles. They're getting drunk. They're having an orgy. Belshazzar decides that they should go get the goblets that Nebuchadnezzar stole from Jerusalem and filled them with wine and get drunk. They began to praise the gods of gold, silver, and, and basically they're mocking God at, to the highest level. That's when they see the writing on the wall. Belshazzar, the king, was presiding over the state. And he throws this banquet for about a thousand or more of his nobles. Now the time comes in this little episode we just read that it comes time for offering toasts, pouring out libations to the gods of Babylon. And in his drunken bravado, he thought of a novel way of entertaining his guests. What about those beautiful golden goblets and bowls from Solomon's temple? Let's use those. After all, they've been fashioned for a, for a defeated god named Yahweh. That Yahweh used to be worshipped by the captive people of Judah. No sooner said than it was done. The sacred vessels laid away for 47 years, are brought to the banquet hall. Belshazzar begins to regale his guests by taunting Yahweh, whose reputation Nebuchadnezzar had put some degrees, had established a few decades, but he taunts them by praising Marduk, Bel, Nebo, Ishtar, and the other gods. 
drinks from the holy vessels and his gifts follow suit. Once again, an arrogant Babylonian monarch defiled the Lord God of Israel. The pagan gods are described as the gods of gold and silver. And it doesn't matter because to the Hebrew monotheists, these materials were all the substance of pagan gods. The imagination. They had no genuine being. But this is the point. The stage is set for the one true God to intervene. Last week we talked about the power of an interruption. I want to talk about this morning the power of an intervention. God is never mocked. Maybe you heard the story about the two guys who were best friends. And they both die on the same day. One goes to heaven and one goes to south. <laughs> Somewhere in the great beyond at the, at the borders... There was probably a Starbucks they met. <laughs> and one of them says, how's it going down there in hell? He says, well, it's hot. I shovel Carl coal from 9 to 11 in the morning. The humidity is a killer, but other than that, I'm, I'm getting along okay. How's everything up in heaven? He says, well, we really work hard. It's a lot, a lot of work. We've got to get the sun out in the morning. We've got to get the moon out at night. It's just a lot of work. Well, why not come to some more work? And the one guy says, well, there's just not a lot of men up here. <laughs> Ladies, you owe me a buck. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Okay. All right. Interruptions, interventions come at the most awkward times in our life. This intervention came without trumpet blasts. It came without trumpet blasts from heaven and earthquakes. suddenly as the hand appeared, the hand vanished, leaving just the blazing letters on the wall. And the party stops. Good grief, the party stops. The revelry comes to a, just a standstill. And God is in a, a worldwide, rock-your-world mood and moment. What on earth did this handwriting mean? In great alarm, the drunken Belshazzar stared at the words. His face is ashen, his knees knock. The musicians put aside their instruments, the dancing girls stand motionless. The waiters stop short, and they all gaze at the world. It's kind of like when I preach. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the king sent for the wise men, ordered them to unravel the message, and whether or not the writing was in symbols unlike any known to wise men, the text does not say, but certainly there is no indication that when the king asked Daniel to translate them, he did so from some unknown tongue. Later on, Daniel read them off as Aramaic, the lingua franca of the capital. Perhaps the words, though written in standard Aramaic characters, simply did not convey any intelligent meaning. At any rate, the diviners and cipher experts muttered amongst themselves, argued and debated, and finally came up with nothing. 
this in spite of great inducements for decoding the message. I mean, you're going to get a medal and become the third highest ruler, for crying out loud. Let's sweeten the pot just a touch. But once again, as back in Nebuchadnezzar's day, even the most learned of the wise men were baffled. God intervenes. Secondly, God baffles. When God rocks your world, he will intervene, and oftentimes he will baffle you. The text does not indicate why the age of Daniel, who would be 81 right now by, eight, by 539 B.C., was not included among those the king numbered. Perhaps he was in semi-retirement. Chapter 8, verse 27 implies that he had been in the government service as, a, as recently as the third year of Belshazzar, but had not enjoyed good health. Apparently, Belshazzar did not know him. In chapter 513, he, he doesn't know him, except possibly by reputation. And evidently, Belshazzar's administration had set him aside, though he lived in Babylon. But the king's mother, who was in all probability a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, though of Daniel, as soon as she heard about what had happened in the banquet hall, although she had not been present as an invited guest, her quarters must have been nearby. She heard the racket, so she came to the king with her recommendation and urged him to stop worrying. The queen mother told Belshazzar that Daniel would, would be able to interpret the writing. Apparently she had not considered the possibility of its containing bad news. At any rate, she commended the aged Jewish, Jewish sage as a truly inspired seer, this is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods, she says. His credentials stem from his notable service to Nebuchadnezzar, who found him so far superior to all the rest of the wise men that he placed him in charge of all the magic magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Like no one else in the realm, Daniel could unravel mysteries and solve enigmas. He was the right one for the job. This guy could do the New York Times cross puzzle in five seconds. This guy was amazing. He could figure it out. The queen mother referred to Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father. But strictly speaking, Nebuchadnezzar was his true father. But on the reasonable supposition that Nebuchadnezzar had married a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar to legitimize his usurpation of the, of the throne, Nebuchadnezzar would have been the grandfather and granddaughter of all his daughter's children. Well, anyway, Belshazzar sends for Daniel at once and meets him apparently for the first time face to face. Having established Daniel's identity, Belshazzar proceeded to tell him the reason for his concern and ask him to explain the mysterious writing. He also enumerated the same rewards, including the position of the third highest ruler. The age of Daniel must have realized that Belshazzar's honors would be short-lived, since his kingdom was about to collapse. Or else Daniel may have simply felt that after years of retirement, he was too old to enter a government service again or the workforce again, so he doesn't really care about the medal. At any rate, he disclaims all promotions, and he goes to work on the king's request. He's kind of doing pro bono work here. He studies the inscription on the wall and understands his message. Daniel prefaces his inter interpretation with a, with a homily on the reason for the judgment it contained. He reviewed the experience of Nebuchadnezzar, in being humbled by the decrees of the Lord God Almighty, this one that you are mocking with your drink and your carousing and your corruption with your orgies. This experiences of his grandfathers were well known to the young king. He should have remembered what they taught about humility and respect for Yahweh. 
the God of the Hebrews had been mocking, or the God of the Hebrews had been mocked in this very banquet hall. Belshazzar was guilty of blasphemy and using the Lord's holy vessels as, com as common dishes for his drunken orgy. How could he hope to measure his puny human strength against the power of the Almighty? This was a crime that led to the handwriting on the wall. Daniel then translates and interprets the four words. The first two are identical, meaning numbered or counted out or measured. They signify the years that Belshazzar's reign had been counted out to the very last one, and it was about to be terminated. Observe that even in the court, diviners had been, been able to make out these, these, these consonants. They would still not have known what the vowel points were to give them. They could have read it as a heavy weight, but Daniel knew better. He knew that it meant measured. The second word was to cow or tekel. And, 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 and it might even be something like a shekel. It could have been that, but a weight of silver or gold or grams. But Daniel explained it. It's, no, it's not. It's the passive participle of tekel and applied it to Belshazzar himself. God had found him deficient. He had been measured out in the scales and therefore rejected him. The third word was Perez, which was derived from the root Paris, which means to divide. And Daniel read it as a passive particle, participle interpreted as to mean that Belshazzar's kingdom, the Babylonian Empire, had been divided or separated from him and given over to the Medes and Persians who were besieging the city. This was a powerful time. I, if, if any of us had been Belshazzar at that point, I'm sure our knees would be knocking. This was not good news. To somebody to come to you and look you directly in the eyeball and says, you don't measure up. And what you have, you've been found wanting in the balance and what you have, we're taking from you. This doesn't come as good news. And somehow I think in the back of all of our minds, and, and let me just speak to the men for just a moment. I think for us men to, to, to have that said to us, that our work is insufficient, that our motives are wrong, and that we've had impure thoughts and we've misused things, those sometimes are in the back of our brain are some of the toughest things we ever think about. God is committed to purity in our lives. He's committed to cutting back and, and pruning us. He's ruthless He wants us to have an abundant life and some of the stuff that we hang on to and we misuse in our life, we, we hang on to that. God says no more. Daniel's interpretation, I'm sure, greatly disturbed Belshazzar for it spelled his eminent doom. His natural response would have been to have the prophet executed on the spot for his bold condemnation of the king in front of, all, of everybody. But perhaps the God-given authority Daniel spoke with left Belshazzar in awe. And he was afraid of incurring still greater wrath if he laid a hand on God's spokesman. Whatever his intentions were, the king fulfilled his promises to the letter. And so he puts the gold chain on Daniel. Proclaims him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But the time for repentance had run out. Belshazzar had gone too far in profaning the holy vessels from God's temple. Destruction was closing in on him, and there was nothing that was going to stop God's judgment upon this man. 
Destruction was closing in. The medial, the medial Persian troops were, <clears throat> were stealthily moving along the exposed riverbed under cover of darkness and climbing the walls of the defenses while revelry was going on throughout the city. During this whole drunken orgy, they were moving in. In fact, some 80 years later, Herodias, the historian, said this. Hereupon the Persians, who had been left for the purpose at Babylon by the riverside, entered the stream which had now sunk so as to reach about midway up a man's thigh, and thus got into town. Had the Babylonians been apprised of what Cyrus was about, or had they noticed their danger, they would never have allowed the Persians to enter the city. But they were just too busy getting drunk and too busy doing about what they wanted to do. Now this story is not about alcohol. This story is about the whole idea of us getting so trapped in what we do that our radar, our eyes, and our ears, our whole antenna system is so down, we don't even know when we're being attacked personally or the things around us can make a difference in our life and that can destroy us. Wow. But would they have destroyed them utterly? For they would have made fast all the streets if they had been alert. And they would have mounted up the walls on both sides of the streams and would have caught the enemy in a trap. But as it was, the Persians came down on them by surprise and took the city owing to the vast size of the place. You know, this can really speak to people, especially those of us men and women who are workaholics. We can be so involved in our work that we don't see what's happening to, to our families. And you say, Dr. G, you, you feel a little emotional today. Yeah, I am. I, I am. This, I get a little escalated at this point. This is real stuff. We're, we're fighting for the family. We're, we're fighting for God's original discipleship group here. And we think the work is so important that our families crumble behind us. And if we had been more alert, we would have seen this. And all of a sudden, a divorce hits. And I've had men in my office shaking their heads and say, I, I didn't even see it coming. I've had that happen for women who've gotten so involved in the marketplace that they forgot about their family. I didn't see it coming. Well, verse 30, tersely reports that Belshazzar was slain that same night. What a tough incident that was. The Nebuchadnezzar Chronicle and other cuneiform texts of that era indicate that Cyrus continued on as governor of Babylonia for 14 years. The new guy now is ruling. Even though Cyrus may have taken over the royal tide as a solemn public coronation service two years later, he still is in. Presumably, Urgent military necessity draws Cyrus away from his newly subdued territories to face an enemy menacing on some other frontier. And so he puts a guy in charge by the name of Gubaro to watch over. But Belshazzar is gone. God said early, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not mock my name. 
You shall reap the consequences of your sin. I, on Calvary's cross, paid for the penalty of sin. But that doesn't mean anybody escapes the consequences. God has already set that in motion. God resets his world and calibrates ours accordingly. I want to leave you with these three things. I know this is not the easiest sermon to preach. But it's one that we need to have to keep in the back of our minds to say, Oh God, let me not get so busy that I, I don't see what's going on around me. And what you have calibrated in my life is so very important. God will set the stage. Not only will he interrupt, he will intervene. And God will baffle you sometimes at the circumstances that he wants to take you through. I, I, I'm sure there are times where this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and he will upset you so that he can reset it his way. He upsets to resets. Well, this week we moved. Uh, those are, those, those are, those are, that, that's torture to move. I, I, especially you get older, you can't even lift the box sometimes, and, 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 and let alone a, a, a couch. I, I'm just praising God for the Dillon youth group who came and got my sofa sleeper that weighs about 50,000 pounds. And, and these young men took it out the door, and as it was going out the door, my back got healed. And, and, I, and I was so thankful for this youth group. Great kudos to Tom and the gang. Glad to donate it. But we came up, we're supposed to close on Wednesday. Everything was in motion on Wednesday. And, and we're, you know how you get, you okay, good, we can make it to Wednesday. We're going to make it, at Wednesday it'll be all over. Tuesday the move will be done. Well then, we get a call on Monday. said, uh, the, your buyer I had a conversation with her broker to release the funds so she could pay uh, about a third of the down payment with cash. He didn't say it was an order. She said it was an order. He didn't order the thing. We've got to move the closing to Friday. My soul was downcast. <laughs> then we went over Sunday night and we looked at this little uh, house that we're renting to get us through and uh, the lady and her brother lived there he was a war vet and he was an amputee and and so there was a lot of handicap situations that's fine but they had three dogs and one cat and when they um, when they shampooed the carpets the shampooing had a way of bringing up everything that had had, had, had been happening in the house <laughs> It was not a great smell. And I think our landlord felt like if we shampoo the carpets, that smell will die down. Uh, there was no down. It was just up. And so he stood there and said, I don't know what to do. But because the closing had been moved to Friday, that meant the moving had to go from Tuesday to Wednesday. He was so kind. He got a crew in there Tuesday. They recarpeted the whole house. We move in Wednesday. We close on Friday. God had a plan. What the heck was I frustrated about? He had to upset to reset. Does that make sense? Say it with me. He had to upset to reset. God will baffle you. 
Now, what's the point of the message today? I don't think anybody in here is where Belshazzar was. I hope not. But I do think the story is relevant to us this way. We can mock God quicker than we think we can. We, we can mock God in a number of ways in our life. We even us who call ourselves Christ's followers. We cannot take seriously the duties that we have of our family, of being a husband, of being a wife, of even being a responsible teenager within the family and acting respectfully and honoring our mother and father. We can take, we can take that not seriously and we can kind of mock God on what he says. We, we can just devote ourselves and, and give me a little grace on this, but we can devote ourselves to the bitch goddess of success and give ourselves 70, 80 hours a week to work and ignore our family. Ignore, you could even ignore our own self-care. Not even getting a workout in or eating properly. Not getting enough rest. I have... Crystal Clear Ministries, I've told you a little bit about that. Bible studies for executives and men of influence in Denver. And we, we have these Bible studies and these men come. They run companies, they're presidents of companies, they're vice presidents. They, they're in the top level of management. And they come and one day one guy came and you could just see the circles around his eyes. Dark and impassioned. He said, my... My world needs some reordering. <laughs> I've not been paying attention. I think I've been mocking God and what he said in terms of balance in my life. We can mock God as well with how and how we use our, our language. We can be this wonderful, articulate person on Sunday and then we can get into the gutter Monday through Friday. We can try to walk on both sides of the fence and we think we can be kind of with the world on one day and we can be with the Christians on another day and, 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 and they're watching and they're looking. Oh, does the world need a consistent testimony on a day like today? I don't want anybody found wanting. And God brought physical death to Bel Belshazzar He's not going to bring physical death to everybody, but sometimes he brings death to a vision. He brings death to a career. He brings death to a relationship sometimes. He allows it to happen because he wants to upset in order to reset. God will rock your world, my friend. Not because he hates you, not because he's a bad God, because he's a good God. He wants the very best for you, and he is committed to pruning and making sure that you are going to experience the abundant life for yourself. That's what I love about Christianity. Somebody once asked me, how long have you been in religion? I said, I've never been in religion. I don't believe in religion. I believe in Christianity. Religion is, religion is somehow a man's attempts to find God. Christianity was God's attempt to find man. Religion's a, a set of rules. 
Christianity is a relationship. We're not talking about religion this morning. We're talking about a relationship with the Most High God. And He wants your very best. And today, if you feel a little baffled, God's at work. <laughs> but He'll bring it together on His perfect time schedule. Look at the story of Daniel. Sometimes we need a Daniel to come in. Sometimes we need a guy like me out of semi-retirement to come in <laughs> and tell you God loves you. But he wants to rock your world to bring you to be more like him. This is all about the relationship. May God bless us this week. And may we give him everything. May we submit to him in every detail of our life. May he use us in the most powerful way he's ever used us. Next week and the week after, don't miss these next two. We're going to be talking about authentic Christianity. Some people have said, just, well, you know, there's so many denominations, there's just so many groups, there's so many almost like cultic things going around. Who's right? Next week we answer that, the next two weeks, on a look at authentic Christianity. After that, we're going to start on the Beatitudes. And for those of you who are going to hang around here in Summit County through the winter, maybe stay a little longer, join us up at the church. But until then, may God have his way in you. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we stand with you today and we say, I'm sure all of us have been found wanting at times. We didn't, meet the, we didn't meet the standard, but that is what's so great about the good news. Jesus becomes the way we need it. I know your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. But just for a moment before we close today, maybe someone is saying here today, Dr. G, how, how do I start this relationship then with God? I've had a relationship with the rules. I've, I've had a relationship with, with kind of church and religion. But, but how do I start a relationship with God? Why don't you just repeat this after me silently as I pray out loud. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart right now. Thank you for dying for me. I commit my life and my very being to you. Make me into the person you want me to be. For those of us who are Christians, we might pray this, Lord, I don't ever want to mock you. I want to take seriously what you've said, because I know that as I submit to that, and as your spirit works through me, the abundant life will be there. Thank you that you have made it possible that I will never be found wanting. I will only be found resisting. So now I no longer resist. Take my life and let it be holy, consecrated, Lord, to thee. Father, you hear the prayers and you, you, know the, you know what's going on in our lives. There are times, Lord, where I confess uh, I get baffled too. 
The preachers don't get a pass on this. Everybody goes through it. But I thank you that you're committed to upsetting in order to reset. And that this universe and everything that's in it is calibrated to your will, not ours. May the abundance of our lives be found in the calibration of your will. So now we commit this to you in your name we pray. Amen.